have a crack. He is, you know. Oh, and they! Brilliant! The run from Giggs! Sensational goal from Ryan Giggs! Still John Barnes, Collymore closing in! Welcome to the 90s Football Hall of Fame show, a podcast brought to you by thefootballfaithful.com. I'm your host, Steve McGovern, and I'll be whipping in the crosses for our target man, Peter Henry. Hello, Peter. How's it going, lads? And our goal mouth poacher, Anthony Kelly. How are you, Ant? How's it going, lads? Every week we induct a new face into the 90s Football Hall of Fame, and this week's involves a tale of mesmerising football, wonder goals, machine guns, and flavoured condoms. He's trying to pick out Aspria here, who's onside. Oh, that's a goal! One look, one bounce, and Pale Aspria. Now, a break again, Aspria! Oh, no! Goodness me! This is a thrashing! We are talking about Pastino Aspria, of course, one of the most colourful characters of 90s football, who made his name at Parma before spending two years at Newcastle United. There's so many stories about this guy, uh, and we'll never get through them all in this podcast. But I want to ask you, lads, what is your favourite story regarding Tino? I remember when he arrived, a great excitement. He scored his first goal for Newcastle against Man City. And after he scored it, he ran to the celebrating Newcastle fans and did a front flip. I remember seeing it, seeing it on match of the day because everyone was really excited to see this player. And then during lunch break, we were all playing football and one of my best mates, he just kind of went to the side and he spent the entire lunch break practicing front flips. And by the time we went back in, he'd absolutely nailed it. And like, if you were to judge a man's ability Ability as a footballer based on his ability to do a front flip I can safely say that like my mate Butsy is better than Ireland's all-time leading goal scorer Robbie Keane and he has Tino Esprilla to thank for it all basically <laughs> how, how well did you uh, master the art of front flipping then you injured yourself didn't you you caused yourself a serious the, I was better at the Klinsman dive, if I'm honest, uh, That was a lot easier move for me. Yeah, you're right. I think I did my ankle a couple of times trying to do the front flip. Otherwise known as the Shevsky Kuki flop. Whatever the kids are calling it these days. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just where he does literally the, the stupidest celebration of all time where he just does a front flop onto the ground. Like he dives like five feet into the air and just flops onto the ground. Pretty sad. And do you have a favorite story or memory of uh, Fastino? Yeah, I think, I think it kind of sums up this entire sort of topic area, the, the, the podcast that we're doing quite nicely when uh, you, you consider Asprey's debut uh, for Newcastle against uh, Middlesbrough. It, it, it's really sort of tickled me when I was uh, sort of rekindling my memories about him. The story goes, he wasn't really match fit when he arrived at Newcastle. I think he'd been carrying a knock, quite a serious knock from the days of Palmer and he wasn't expecting to play. And I think because he wasn't expecting to play, he'd polished off like quite a generous glass of wine um, before the game, only to have Kevin Keegan say, go ahead, lads, you're in the squad. And he was on the bench, probably feeling a bit tipsy after his, uh, his Merlot or his Rioja 
whatever he was drinking, whatever his tipple was. And not only that, not only is he not fit and slightly pissed, he comes off the bench and uh, completely changes the game with some wonderful uh, some wonderful skill to absolutely leave. I think it was Phil Stamp, proper 90s Middlesbrough defender, left him completely flat-footed, whips a brilliant ball in for, uh, for Ferdinand's equaliser against Middlesbrough. So not only is he not fit, drunk, injured, he's still the best player on the pitch by a million miles. And I think that kind of nicely sums up the, uh, the sort of 90s important of these foreign talents. I've read that story before. I wonder how, like, the story says it goes that he, he had a glass of water Wine. Where did you get the glass from? Where did the I wine come from? Idea. He just has a glass of wine on the. I don't know. That is, that you know is why, a pretty good story. You know why? It's because he said, which sums up kind of Italian football. They say that, you know, Italians were much more, they were already way ahead in terms of like eating right and, you know, looking after yourself. Things that are commonplace now at, at the top level of football. They were streets ahead of, of English footballers. But I, I read in an interview with him last night. The reason he ordered wine with his lunch was because you got fined if you drank Coke in Italy. So he just said, I'll just have wine then because I'm not allowed to drink Coke, basically. <laughs> well, it, make, it, it makes a, some level of sense. I know there's a, I can't remember his name, but there's a famous sprinter from Trinidad and Tobago who li- he calls like fizzy drinks uh, liquid cocaine. So, I mean... You know, you're probably better off having a glass of wine than a than a bottle of Coke or something. But um, I think my fa- personal favorite story is when he was playing for Parma. So this is nothing to do with Newcastle or his Premier League years. But he was visiting his mum back in Colombia and uh, he's out driving and he's cut off by a bus and he inexplicably gets out and kicks the bus, injuring his foot in the process. I think he got glass or something in his foot. He subsequently misses four weeks of action, including uh, the Cup Winners' Cup final, which Parma won. So that is probably my favourite story, although there's countless other stories. If you ask a series of people their favourite Tino story, they'll probably have a different one because there's just so many. And uh, not to play on Colombian stereotypes or anything, but it is alleged that his transfer to Parma kind of helped the flow of money from a certain underworld industry. I don't know. (laughs) I'm just saying allegedly now, but... You know, uh, we'll, we'll we'll move on from that and we'll get on to uh, Newcastle because it's actually 24 years ago this week that he made oh, his uh, debut. 20, 24. I have siblings yeah. younger than that. Like that's that's insane. And it's actually quite oh, timely. That was that was completely by accident. We didn't plan for that. But it was 24 years ago, as you mentioned, and he came on, set up a goal. Pretty remarkable. What was the reaction, Peter, when he arrived? Because obviously he he's such an odd fellow. Well, I, I say odd. He's just a... He's a bit of an eccentric. He turns up at Newcastle, you know, during a snowstorm in this fur coat to keep himself warm. I mean, do you remember the kind of reaction? Of course, this was the at the height of uh, Sky's hype machine. So do you remember all the, the buzz about his arrival? I do, definitely. And I think he, he was probably a bit different than the players we've already covered in that there was... We already had a decent knowledge of him because of Football Italia. Football Italia was such a big thing to everybody in yeah. the early 90s. And we would have seen him in the Parma team, which were, you know, fighting at the top of Serie A. They, they'd won a couple of trophies if I remember correctly. So we'd already seen some of his, you know, some of what he was capable of, like absolute, no exaggeration to say, world-class moments of talent. Um, He never really did it on a consistent basis, but capable of absolutely superb pieces of football. And I remember the Fancy Football Show, which was a great show, you know, Frank Skinner and and David Baddiel. And I remember them joking when the showing the clip 
Um, I suppose it's again going to Colombian stereotypes a bit, joking that that the snow coming down wasn't actually snow. <laughs> it's because they burst open Tino's suitcase, you know. So uh, yeah, there was there was great excitement. It was kind of a like it was like at that time, like so many clubs, they were all signing like almost like marquee signings, if you know what I mean. We talked about. Amakachi, Middlesbrough, Northeast football was thriving at the time. You know, Middlesbrough had Janino in. And I just remember, like I said, he, he made his, and said he made his debut. I actually think it was Steve Watson and not Les Ferdinand who scored that header, lads. He was another real 90s player, Newcastle and Everton. But uh, he came on, brilliant bit of skill on his debut. Everybody watching Match of the Day waiting to see, see this fella. And then, uh, you know, went on and scored a, a goal the, the next week against Man City and then in classic Tino Asprilla style he, he got I think he got sent off but he was definitely suspended after that game for having a big fight with Man City cap Keith Curl so uh, yeah just a, a massive buzz around him and you know he, he'd also coming into I think we'll get on to it later but coming into a Newcastle team that was like 12 points clear in the title race at, at one stage like so this was a really high-profile signing because he was coming to the league leaders at the time, you know? Yeah, you're, you're actually, you're spot on. It was Watson that scored that goal, uh, not Fernand. When he arrived, there was actually a suggestion that Newcastle, you know, obviously, like you, you mentioned, Football Italia there. So everyone everyone had seen him, really, if you were paying attention to, to Channel 4's iconic show at the time. You know, Newcastle were obviously seeing this guy on TV and going, this guy's amazing. You know, plenty of English football fans had seen what he could do for Parma. Uh, but there's a suggestion that Newcastle weren't aware of his extracurriculars. And once they found out, they tried to back out of the deal, citing a knee problem. Paddy Agnew, actually, who was a Italian football correspondent for the Irish Times at the time, he wrote this about the situation. His various off-the-field problems in particular have attracted much media attention. His alleged misdemeanors have included a mysterious leg cut that kept him out of the European Cup Winners' Cup final, a one-year suspended sentence for a firearms offence committed while he was celebrating the New Year in Colombia, his recent divorce from wife Catalina, his alleged love affair with the porn star Petra Scharbach, occasional and not-so-private rows with Parma coach Nevio Scala, and an enthusiasm for loud music in the middle of the night. So um, once they kind of found out all of this, they were trying, uh, I don't know, they got cold feet, apparently. Yeah, he's um, he's not exactly in a nice and shining armor as a footballer, is he? Like you know, and I think it was uh, we we touched on it on the first pod. It was like this kind of era when footballers were becoming you know uh, fully fledged superstars on the front and back pages of the tabloids, and obviously he's making headlines for all the wrong reasons um, on the way in. I I love the little story as well that he um, reportedly had looked at Newcastle on a map and seen that it was on the coast on the sea. And being from like a being from like a tropical city in Colombia, he had just put two and two together and assumed he was going to somewhere warm and cuddly and nice, only to land in a blizzard in the northeast of England. So he must have been a little bit bewildered. But you can see why with that kind of um, that kind of CV and bad behaviour that he was. Uh, there's probably a few people a bit tentative and a bit nervous about him about him turning up. So. And I think there's there's also like a again kind of why he's a player of his time of the nineties really. If you look at it, when Newcastle got him, I think he was nine years into his career. As you say, he'd been a very successful Palma team for four years. Played at the World Cup with Colombia in '94. This was a guy who'd been around for a while. He wasn't just some kid that he'd signed. And I think if you if he'd signed for Newcastle now in in today's game where you know South America has become like a bit of a factory for talent um, coming into Europe, this lad would have had sort of seven, eight, nine years of, of you know, sort of conditioning and, and sort of education in the game. 
you know, I, I remember when Luis Suarez went to Barcelona, we had to sign like a good behaviour clause when he went to Barcelona just because of his his CV of bad behaviour at Liverpool. You, you could imagine something like that happening. But again, it was why the 90s was such a frontier time because he's turned up at Newcastle. He's clearly a bit of a bad lad. He doesn't, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't look after himself, enjoys the fruits of being a footballer when there's a lot of money in the game all of a sudden. So I think that kind of off-the-field reputation sort of compliments him as a, as a character, I guess. He didn't score a lot of goals, 18 for Newcastle, 28 for Parma, and I think uh, 20 for Colombia. But he did score some absolute bangers, Peter, didn't he? Ah, uh, yeah. Like if you go on to you go on to YouTube, there's like they're short enough videos. They're kind of five, five, six minutes long. But like every type of goal and absolute worldies. Like there's there's chips, there's volleys. There's one he scores, I think it's against Leeds, because the video's a bit blurry, but they're wearing all white, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's Leeds. But the ball comes over the top to him, and it kind of summed him up as a player, why he was so interesting to watch, because he's kind of just nonchalant, and you're kind of going, even when you're watching the video, you're like going, hurry up, man, hurry up, man. The, cha- like the defenders are kind of closing him down. He just, take, like he has all the time in the world, takes a touch on his knee, and then just caresses this side foot into the corner but the keeper's already on his way out so there's nothing he can do he can't can't adjust his feet and it just kind of rolls past him but Tino's just there going yeah I had it all under control all the time a couple of brilliant goals for Colombia uh, he actually scored a worldie of a free kick from about 30 yards against AC Milan in his Parma days that ended at Milan's 58 game unbeaten run in Serie A that kind of great AC Milan team of the early 90s and there's one guy I think it was kind of my favourite goal Again, it's in his Parma days and the ball comes across the box to him and instead of just stroking it in, he kind of takes a touch and the goalkeeper gets back and blocks it. So it comes back to him again. Yeah. Nonchalant again, goes to side foot it in, the defender blocks it, bounces back to him again, he turns, flicks it up and overheads it into the goal and you're just there going, (laughs) this is just crazy. But I think it's he was definitely a kind of big game player, definitely scored two absolutely fantastic goals in the famous 4-3 games that Newcastle had with Liverpool at Anfield that have gone down in Premier League folklore. One beautifully curled, kind of both from the same position in the pitch. One curled around the goalkeeper and and, and another kind of slide and volley that, that just made it back down under the bar. But his, in, his record is really interesting with Newcastle because he scored nine goals in 48 Premier League games, which is by no means a good record. But he actually scored nine goals in 11 European games for them, including That's a right. famous hat-trick against, against Barcelona. So de- he definitely seemed to be one of them players maybe more suited to either just European football or, or, or the, the big occasion. But when you look back at the clips, I think, as well, he was so skillful. Like, it, the little dragbacks he, he used to do, like dra- kind of rolling the ball, a nutmeg, but like rolling the ball through another player's legs, that kind of technical skill just hadn't wasn't commonplace in English football I'm not saying people weren't nutmegging but it was much more direct in how players dribbled he just it had... was almost like it was quicker when when he did it you know what I mean like like you said it, it, it existed before but you know when he did it it was almost at a different pace yeah no 100% he was and he was a strange player in that he kind of had that languid style so like it never really looked like he was 
going particularly fast. But then when he w- when there was actually someone running beside him, you'd actually go, right, he's outpacing him here. He's really motoring, you know. He just had he just had a strange body. His his movements, everything was just built into this kind of hugely entertaining player to watch. And I, I I'm, I'm I'd be quite adamant that like although he never produced on a regular basis, really throughout his career, he he was ca- capable of moments that are up there with with the very best players you know that Barcelona game you referenced that was definitely the that is definitely the performance that kind of put him into iconic territory for Newcastle fans like it's even looking back now it's kind of bizarre to look back and see that how how they really put that incredible Barcelona team to the sword and and really it just goes to show like he was the type of player who could win a match single-handedly but at, at the same time he could equally not be arsed at all yeah, he definitely. I think Pete summed it up nicely when he said that he had a language style, which I think at times can come across that you you maybe aren't putting a hundred percent in in a shift. But then you can't really sort of take that view on a player when he turns up at Barcelona, coming to St James's Park in probably one of the biggest games in the club's recent history, and he absolutely dominated. He was unplayable in that game. You know, if you look at the penalty he wins, he was just causing chaos in that Barcelona backline, just with his direct runs and his his wonderful feet. The goalkeeper. Saw sort of panics and brings him down it's an obvious penalty um, when you see it and then the, the two headers he scores are just it, it just monsters the Barcelona back back line you know he, the way he attacks the ball and his body shape in the air his timing of the run and just leaps through the air and I, I don't think the Barcelona keeper or the defenders knew what, what hit them Spears up there just played it wide for Keith Gillespie can he get past Sergi he can he's got him in cross here An unbelievable situation. That is an absolute picture goal, isn't it? That's the first time really Keith Gillespie's picked it up and gone at Sergi, and he skinned him easily, flighted him brilliantly, and there's a spirit leaping what? like a good self. What a leap! Magnificent! This is great, though. That's it. Drop his shoulder, sling it in. Look at that leap. That's Whoa! 2 0. I think for somebody who is so like comes across as so kind of relaxed and sort of almost eccentric I think those kind of plays don't really freeze in the big games and again you know you look at his goal scoring record for Newcastle for the money that he paid for him it's not great his goal return for somebody so skillful uh, and with so much ability but the, you know just for scoring a hat-trick against Barcelona alone could almost sort of leave him as an, an icon at the football club and it was the, was he the, it was the first hat-trick wasn't it scored against Barcelona in the Champions League as well uh, and then I think a week later Andrei Shevchenko did it which is just bizarre um, again in itself but if you look at that sort of uh, big game mentality you can see why the fans sort of take to him I know he was uh, when he left he wasn't sort of mourned when he left Newcastle but um, I, I think if you look at St James's Park that night, they were bouncing like you know. I don't think they'd, they'd had a night like, like that probably in, in 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 generations. Certainly not, especially when you consider they had kind of uh, been in the second tier maybe a decade previous to that, and mm. you know, like it was a huge. It, I mean, that was huge for them considering where they had come from. Um, and 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 around the time of those famous games against Liverpool, the one in particular where Newcastle lose it late on and. Keegan is slumped down. You were a young fan of Liverpool back then. So do you do you remember vividly at the time seeing Aspria and that amazing Newcastle team that were, you know, they were so entertaining, but they were at the same time they could lose a game 
4-3 as easily as they could win one 6-0. Yeah, exactly. I think they, why those games are so iconic is because the, the, the Liverpool and Newcastle were almost sort of mirror images of each other um, in a sense. I think Newcastle probably edged it in terms of quality up front with Ginola and, and Ferdinand and um, Aspria. You know, they're really, really wonderfully talented front line. And Beardsley as well, you know, sort of an evergreen talent coming towards the end of his career, but still a fantastic footballer um, complementing them. So they were, they were, as you say, they were a team capable of taking anybody apart and I think if you look at that night at Anfield it's, it's, it's kind of sort of iconic because of the attack in football but also the fact that there was no sort of semblance of a defence from either manager I don't think either of them were interested it was like right you score four we'll score five I think if you'd have given Newcastle an extra ten minutes that night they may have even won that game just the way it was going it was an absolutely crazy game of football and I remember watching it as a, as a young lad watching it with my dad it was, it was it was a Monday night game on Sky if if I'm right it was a Monday night match yeah. and my dad even like let me stay up late to watch like the aftermath of the game because we were both just so excited and I remember saying to him like is is this normal I, I, I've, not, I've not seen a game like this before it was just bonkers like they went down the other end and scored we went down the other end and scored I remember um, uh, Aspria caught our back line beautifully with that with that pace if you look at how, how high Liverpool's line is he's almost sort of running around a corner of them when he gets the ball and they David James just runs out, you know, monumental brain fart that he was as a goalkeeper. And the keeper just, yeah, Asprey just gives him the eyes and just knocks it past him, like, with, with real quality and composure. But he, he was, he, he was, um, he really was, like, to, almost like the jewel in the crown of that wonderful attacking attack Newcastle side at the time. Asprey has got through here. Ferdinand! 1-1! One, one. It was a really sharp finish. From the England striker. Aspria, he's tight his run. Aspria, yes! Lee with that perfect pass. And the finish from Aspria. And uh, that that game was just iconic. Uh, one of, one of my favourite memories. It's, it's not sort of Newcastle related. It was just when Fowler scored and then carried on going into the net in a slide in a celebration and ends up just like with the ball in the back of the net, face down in the grass. It's just brilliant. Like it, it really is. Like, even watching the highlight of it is exciting. So to watch that live is it, you, you felt privileged watching it live. It was brilliant. Okay, that's enough. That's enough Liverpool chat now, and yeah, yeah. We're, 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 we're cutting you off. We're cutting you off. <laughs> you know, he arrived in February of that season. Of course, the, the transfer window hadn't been invented at that point. It was just one big open market all year round. But he arrives in February. And then by the end of the season, Newcastle end up not winning the league. They finish second behind Manchester United. People put two and two together and, they, and they'll say that transfer killed Newcastle United's title hopes that that it disintegrated because they bought this guy who was eccentric he was inconsistent yeah he played wonderful football you know it, it they were just too focused on attacking and and Aspria was one of those guys that you could put him out there and he would do amazing things but equally he's not going to defend you're going to be weak at the back and that's why the whole thing just disintegrated over the matter over over the course of just a few months how close to the truth is that in reality, Peter? Like, does it hold any water for you, that narrative that is held until this very day? I'll give you my quick answer is that it's complete bollocks. My longer answer would be, I'm, you know, signing him maybe had a bit of a dis- destabilizing 
uh, effect on the squad. But Kevin Keegan didn't have to go out and buy him. What's also often overlooked is that Newcastle signed David Batty at the same time from Leeds, uh, England midfielder. And they kind of changed how they, they played a little bit to, to accommodate to accommodate David Batty. I think As you do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think in general, from what you hear of, of, of the other players when they talk about Asprilia, apart from Keith Gillespie, who, who lost his place and claims that Asprilia was the reason that they didn't win the league, most other players looked at him as a kind of lovable rogue. Um, you know, I was looking at an interview with, with, with Rob Elliott last night and how saying how, you know, he didn't get his deposit back in his house in Newcastle because there was bullet holes in the wall. Yeah. <laughs> it was just basically an open party house all the time. Time. like that Newcastle team was just so flawed like by all in the same interview with Rob, Robbie Elliott he says like that Kevin Keegan never once worked on team shape he never wor- once worked on set plays he said basically our training was five aside and mess games but like at a really intense level like they had Ginola Ferdinand Beardsley Rob Lee like some top class players but and they even got in Mark Lawrenson to uh, yeah. to help with the defence and the story goes that Lawrenson gave up about fi- after about 15 minutes of trying to organise the defence and training and just start refereeing the five-a-side games so when you think about that with Keegan's team a, a guy who it's wonderful in a way that a fella who's just was enthusiastic about people enjoying football and playing attacking football was able to bring a team so close to being able to win the league that that's superb in a way but you were always going to be fu- when, going to be found out when your coach just refused to even do the most basic forms of like team shape tactics. You know, basically going out with a plan, except just enjoy it and play good football, lads. I think that was always going to be found out ultimately. You know, so to pin it all on Tino Esprilla is is a bit ridiculous. You know, the, the format they had as well, Pete, was a continuation as well. I was reading into it before they did one only three of the previous eight games before they signed Esprilla, and obviously they they try and attribute like a like a really bad start. I think they only won something like five um, five games that Esprilla played, which is why it sort of dumped on his door step five of the 14 games he played so I, I, I just think it's it's such a false narrative as you say Keegan didn't have a defensive bone in his body as a coach and I think um, Ferdinand's goal scoring had dried up a little bit he scored something like only two goals in nine games before they signed Spreer so there's clear signs that like as you say he was getting found out you know you at the time as well, you're up against Manchester United, who were really coming into their own as a force. And that was the season when, uh, did you win 14 out your last 16 games as well? Yeah, um, and Schmeichel and Cantona were just, were just sublime at either end of the pitch, weren't they? Like, they were just superb. So I think, you know, everything sort of combined against Newcastle. Okay, they still blew a 12 point lead, which is stupid. Like, you know, I don't know how the hell they, they, they did that, really, looking at it. But, yeah. you know, they definitely got found out in that title race. You can't pin it all on one player. Like, that's just a crazy narrative. I definitely think it's worth pointing out as well that the kind of game where United really clawed it back was a 1-0 win, a a famous Cantona volley. I think it actually came up in the quiz last week or the week before. It won 1-0 away at Newcastle. And that's when you knew Newcastle, they were on the way. I think the Liverpool game came, came after it and that was like the final nail in the coffin. But it should be said that like there's small margins as well because... Tino Esprilla was absolutely, I, rem- I can remember being terrified in that game of him as a Man United fan because he was on it. He was brilliant. Big game. He was there. He was ready to rock. 
And Peter Schmeichel put in one of the all-time great individual Premier League performances. If you watch the highlights of that game, Schmeichel is just batting balls away from all angles. He's absolutely immense. And then United get the 1-0 win, see it out and romp to the title in the end. Um, so fine margins as well, you know. Absolutely. Uh, Aspria as well is is a real headline merchant. I gotta say, I found fa- I found some really funny headlines, some really enjoyable headlines researching for this episode. So I'll read out a few of them here. This one's from uh, the Mail Online. Newcastle legend Aspria arrested after peppering the defence with shots using a machine gun. The Guardian has uh, Fastino Aspria's latest business venture: guava flavored condoms. And the son, obviously, uh, as restrained as ever. Gun-loving Fastino Aspria snubbed career in porn, lost a £44,000 stallion, and injured himself kicking a bus. And uh, my favourite uh, one of all is uh, from BBC Sport. Aspria snubs Darlington. <laughs> See, I, I, I actually, I was, he did an interview with, with Eurosport, and they asked him about pretty much all of the headlines there that you said, and his response about the guava condoms was that they're great for romancing. So fair play. <laughs> if you say so, Tino. And uh, yeah. We, hey, it's Valentine's Day tomorrow, Pete. Don't, you know, this, this pod's going out at a good time. Get yourself you know, some guava flavored jollies. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you were saying, like you were saying, Steve, so many stories. Like he's basically retreated to the tropical part of Colombia that, that he's from and bought a big, massive ranch, which like if you live, if you live in a ranch, you get massive bonus points as far as I'm concerned. And that's where he, you know, he was locked up for firing a, a machine gun, basically, at, at a kind of secure, some kind of security building or something like that. And, uh, like, they asked him if he was apologetic about it. And he was like, no, they locked me up for 10 days, but they had to let me out. They couldn't handle me in there. <laughs> so, Tino <laughs> you know, just doesn't care, you know. I love that. Uh, I love the Darlington story as well. I was reading about that one. Former Darlington uh, chairman was, like, offering him 20% of all the gate revenue and stuff like that and was offered him wages that were comparable to championship clubs at the time. And you're thinking, how the hell were you going to afford that at Darlington? You get like 2,000 people on the gates. I don't understand, you know. I think, I think the idea at the time was that they were going to give him like 20% of the gate. And I think at the time, their average crowd was like something like 5,000. And I think the idea was, oh, well, if we get Espria, then the crowds will come and then he'll pay for himself. I think, I, you know, that's my reading of the situation anyway. The guy who played 13 games in three years or something before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's definitely when you when you check his like his stats uh, and towards the end of his career, it's like every club, it's like he plays for like loads of different clubs and every year it's like eight games played, 10 games played, two games played. Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of like if you were really intelligent, you owned a club, you'd offer him a deal like that, but you'd also own a nightclub. So whatever money you gave him, you'd bring back in, you know, it'd be the perfect scenario. What, 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 what a man, really, he's... He'd basically be one of those guys who makes like nightclub appearances, uh, who also happens to play football. Which which brings me on to obviously the most important question in all this, Peter, is would he be good on a night out or would he be too much? Would he be like too intense? Would he be too much for you on a night out? She's, do you know what, Steve? I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think I've ever said this about anyone ever in my life, but I'm not so sure it'd be a good idea to go out with Tino. <laughs> like, he, like he's he like he'll look look at any any interviews. He's not ashamed to say he just loves guns. It's not not a, it's not really. He loves guns, weed, and beer. And you know, yeah, you kind of you're you're asking for trouble there. I'd say so. 
I'd, probably, I'd go out for a couple, but then again, I know if I had a couple, stay, I'd stay, and then the trouble will start, you know? Uh-huh. So, uh, it's never just one or two. No, especially oh. with Tino around. Oh, with Tino, it's never just one or two machine guns. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah. I don't know why. It's like every few years there's a story about him and shooting off guns, and I don't, I don't know why. It's bizarre. Obviously, he's become very well known in recent years from for like his use of social media and stuff like that. But he's every few. There's always some story about Tino Spree and guns. I don't know why. He he was fame, you know, famous. One of Colombia's biggest kind of sports stars at a time. You can't really skirt around it. You know, he played in the '94 and the '98 World Cup when Colombia were heavily fancied going into the 1994 World Cup. Um, they'd hammered Argentina in Buenos Aires 5-0 in the qualifiers. You know, Esprilo was one of the stars with Freddie Rincon, Carlos Valderrama, Rene Higuita. But th- that whole team was completely immersed with, you know, the Medellin and, and Cali cartels, which, you know, I think everybody, the Netflix generation, we've all seen. We've all seen different TV shows and, and documentaries about that. But, he, like, he came from an absolutely crazy time in Colombian life. So it, it's no surprise that he's such a, a crazy character as well, because there was an absolutely fascinating documentary called The Two Escobars, which kind of shows how the life of the world's biggest drug dealer, Pablo Escobar, is intertwined with uh, the life of the defender, Escobar, who unfortunately scored a, an own goal uh, that saw Colombia eliminated from the World Cup and was tragically killed, basically, by gangsters who had, had money on Colombia winning. Um, and it just shows like the level at which the Colombian national team were basically on Pablo Escobar's ranch playing five-a-sides with him and stuff. So he, he he came from a, like everyone thinks Tino is crazy and he absolutely is, but like I think he was very much kind of a product of his environment in them days as well, you know? There was a team, Pete, wasn't there, in the Colombian uh, top division, Millionarios. They were heavily bankrolled by Escobar. The, I think they were, everybody on the board was was in his back pocket and obviously they were, they were making no sort of um, qualms about them all being multi millionaires and very very rich well i referenced earlier about how there's a suggestion that Aspria's transfer to parma kind of was was a, a convenient way of you know moving money in that world oh, yeah. um pretty much not just millionarios i mean like pretty much all the teams were backed by um drug cartels yeah. sorry yeah, Peter? sorry yeah like you're bang on the different cartels the cali cartel whatever they all had they basically all had their own football club you knew you'd made it as a as a cartel boss when you owned a football club that them days in, in colombia you know there's just the story as well i'm not sure how much truth there is but like there was again you, you talk about headlines but one of the rumors is that he um asperia talked down one of escobar's henchmen from going after um Chilever. Jose Luis Gilavir, the legendary Paraguayan goalkeeper after an international game. So again, you wonder how um, you wonder how engrossed these fellas were in what was going on behind the scenes, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just just a final note as well. Just a, just a nice, happy, light note to finish on. He was one of the first South American players uh, as well to come out in support of the LGBT community, which I think, I mean, like all the all the mad headlines and all the crazy stories about him. I just think that's a nice way to to kind of finish off the conversation and. Um, yeah, I think we're, we're about time to vote, guys. What about, what do you think? Steve, listen, he's a gun-toting, gold-scoring, horse-riding, condom thing. Like, I, I don't know. He should, like, I just put him into the Hall of Fame of life, let, let, let alone the 90s Football Hall of Fame. But no, I think Ant was saying earlier when we were talking about his 
his legendary, you know, his kind of extracurricular activities. And Ant was saying he, he wasn't a knight in shining armour. But in terms of that kind of, you know, the 90s footballer that we kind of look back on that was up all night drinking before coming on and scoring a scream or, you know, that kind of kind of mm-hmm. player. He was the knight in shining armour almost. So gets, yeah, Jesus, Tino Esprilia. What an absolute legend, you know, another player. That I, I said it last week with Amica- during the Amakachi pod. If you, you just say Esprilla's name to a 90s football fan, it, their, their face will break out in a smile. And that's that's the whole point of this pod, I think. So, yeah, get in there, Tino. And is it a no from you? Yeah, no, definitely no. No. <laughs> no. To be fair, I, I was actually in two minds. But, you know, when you read about a player like him, he couldn't be more 90s if he tried, could he? You know, he's... He was obviously of that sort of wonderful Palmer team with Zola and, you know... Um, Juan Baran. Baggio, Baggio, sorry, yeah. Yeah, Zola and Baggio and Sensini. You know, wonderful, wonderful oh, Palmer team in the mid-90s that won three, um, you know, three European trophies. You know, an icon of football Italia, which is, for a lot of kids growing up, flicking that on on Channel 4 on a Sunday morning was was phenomenal, you know. Uh, trying to twist your aerial in your room to make sure you had the signal for it, it was it was brilliant. And just watching like those wonderful players that, of of Italian football, which at the time was was like the powerhouse league. So for a star like that to arrive in in, in English football and and just okay, he wasn't he wasn't consistently brilliant, but he was a wonderful entertainer on and off the pitch. I think it's a it's an absolute yes from me. Like okay, well then I guess it's official. Fastino Aspria, you are in. The 90s Football Hall of Fame. You can pick up your award anytime. Just give us a call, you know, and we know you're listening. So just give us a ring, you know, we'll sort it out. We'll we'll organize it. Maybe we'll mail it to you. Just send us your address and we'll, we'll get it to you. So uh, fair play. Round of applause for Fastino Espria. Well done, mate. You are in the, It's obviously his greatest achievement. Up next, we've got a quiz. Right, so it's time for our 90s football quiz. Same rules apply. I'll read out the question. What do you guys will buzz in? You have 10 seconds to answer the question once you do. So let's get started then. All of the questions in this round relate to the 93-94 season, I should say. So here's question one. Multiple choice, by the way. To kick off the season, title holders Manchester United met FA Cup winners Arsenal at Wembley ahead of the 93-94 season. Who missed the final penalty to give the trophy to United was it A Ian Wright B Paul Davis C David Seaman as relates to the community shield go ahead Ant and I'm going to go outrageous and go C David Seaman and 1-0 1-0 correct it is big Dave <laughs> so that's 1-0 to Ant quick start although you had a quick start last week and you still lost to Peter so let's see if you can keep it up this time question 2 stay no pressure like nice one no pressure yeah, yeah, yeah. look look <laughs> Question two, which, again, this is also a multiple choice, which former England international midfielder scored Manchester United's second goal on their opening day, 2-0 win away at Norwich City? Was it A, Neil Webb, B, Paul Ince, C, Brian Robson? Peter. Peter, you got there first. What year are we, Steve? 93-94. It's either, I'm going to go with Neil Webb. Ooh, that is incorrect. And do you have the answer? I was going to go for Brian Robson. That is correct. It's 2-0 Ant. Man. Trying to be fancy there. Trying to be fancy. 
I'm just going for the extreme examples all the time, Pete. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's served me well so far. It's funny, last week and last week you complained about the proliferation of Manchester United questions, and so far we've had two of them, and you've gotten both of them right. And yeah, there's, uh, there's, a lot, a, there's a lot of Man United questions in these quizzes, mate, I must say. I think that might have something to do with the respect of, you know, um, fortunes of those two teams during this particular era. So I mean, we, I can make up a quiz of how you know, of how their decade went, if you like, remind you Liverpool, of all those. Liverpool beat Norwich in the 90s. Come on. It's fine. I'm sure we beat them once. <laughs> Grant, so uh, we'll go on to question three then. So a week later, Manchester United travelled to Aston Villa and won 2-1 <laughs> with both goals coming from a player who they had signed in 1988 from Torquay United. Who was it? Peter. Go ahead, Peter. Oh, Lee Sharp. <laughs> Lee Sharp. Lee Sharp is correct. It is 2-1. Uh, there is, in fact, a Liverpool question coming up later in this quiz, Ant, so you might be in book. <laughs> But for now, this is uh, question four. Arsenal striker Ian Wright scraped into the UK singles chart with a single released in 1993. What was the name of the record? Was it A, Outstanding, B, Do the Right Thing, or C, Golden Times? Peter. Uh, Peter got there first. Go ahead, Peter. Do the Right Thing. It was Do the Right Thing, and is now two all. Was that, was it Outstanding, Andy Cole? Was that, was that his single? I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, I don't... I don't actually think that's what I'm doing as soon as we're off this pod is listening to Ian Wright's tune. I can't remember it, to be honest. I don't remember that at all. I remember Andy Cole having a single. That was yeah. Naff, I, I, Andy Cole did make Outstanding All Right. That was his song. Yeah, well. Maybe we'll, we'll, I might play one of those at the end of the show. And, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, go out with it. Yeah, just, uh, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, so question five, it's two all. So if either of you get this right, it'll put you in the lead. Which veteran striker scored an early season hat-trick for Coventry City at Highbury to condemn Arsenal to a disappointing defeat? Peter. Peter, go ahead. Mickey Quinn. Mickey Quinn is correct. Peter uh, steamed uh, into a 3-2 ooh. lead. Ooh. There's now 3-2 going uh, into question six. Terry Venables left Tottenham Hotspur in 1993, but which former White Hart Lane favourite replaced him? Peter. Go ahead, Peter. It was it? Ozzy Ardiles. It was Ozzy Ardiles. Uh, it's now 4-2. Can I just say, sorry, Mickey Quinn, we need a little mention because he's a kind of legend. He once said he'd beat, uh, he'd beat Linford Christie over a yard, and I believe him. <laughs> Yeah, over a yard. Yeah, I believe him. All right. Yeah, sure. Mickey, he he might he might be a good um, subject for a podcast sometime. Yeah, I think he's more kind of a, yeah. He, he he's one of them players. wasn't quite all nineties, but yeah, definitely he, he was early a, early to mid nineties. Yeah, sure. yeah, 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 yeah. No, he was he had, he had a tash proper kind of old man look and just banging in the goals. Some people will give him some people give him negative points for that. I'll give him I'll give him uh, positive points for that to be honest with you. He 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 he's good in my book. Yeah, but like Steve, it wasn't one of these manicured things that you have these days. This no. was just a gruff old silly looking mustache. I'm pretty I don't sure think... he had like a mullet as well at one stage. Oh. <laughs> Uh, definitely I think that was required in football in the late 80s he definitely didn't do manscaping anyway I can assure you that <laughs> anyway next question it's 4-2 to Peter and there are four questions left oh my god here's the next one newly promoted Newcastle United got off to a disappointing start when a Teddy Sheringham goal gave Spurs a 1-0 lead sorry 1-0 win at St. James's Park the assist was provided by an English midfielder whose career would take him to Everton Las Palmas Sevilla and Walsall who was it? Peter. Go ahead, Peter. 
Vinny Samways. Jesus Christ, how did he get that? That's a good one. That's a good one. It's 5-2, Peter. <sighs> Once again, we're in a situation, Ant, where you can... If you get all of the last three questions right, you will you can only draw. Come on, Ant. This, one, this one's for you now. Liverpool's major signing of the summer scored twice against Sheffield Wednesday. Peter, Peter, Stan Collymore. Incorrect. I'll finish the question for Ant. Liverpool's major signing of the summer scored twice against Sheffield Wednesday at Anfield early on in the campaign, making a great start to life in the north following a move from Nottingham yeah. Forest. Can yeah, you name Nigel him? And Nigel Clough. That is correct. Oh. Five yeah. three, Nigel Clough. Peter, you jumped the gun and you paid for it. I went to be honest when you said like Nottingham Forest, I was going. It is Stan Collymore. It is Stan Collymore. Oh, you see, this is the thing, lads. You know, if if there were some more Liverpool questions in, Pete wouldn't have this unassailable lead. You know what I mean? That's the that's the first Liverpool question. But two and a half ways into the quiz, you know, outrageous. Well, I, want, I want some VAR instigating this. You know what I mean? Just you got you got two. Pablo Escobar's involved in these quizzes. Oh, of course, yeah. From, from beyond the grave, of course. <laughs> so that makes it 5-3. Two questions left. So this one's uh, very important. This next one revolves around uh, Guy Whittingham, who actually, uh, curiously enough, he only ever scored from inside the box. Every Aye. single one of his Premier League goals were from inside the box. So Aston Villa were looking for goals from their major signing, Guy Whittingham. The man known as Corporal Punishment arrived... At Villa Park, from which club? Was it A, Wolverhampton Wanderers, B, Portsmouth, C, Sheffield Wednesday? And I think you buzzed in there. Yeah, um, I think it was Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, incorrect, Peter. What was the correct answer? The other options were, Steve, sorry. It was Wolves, Portsmouth or Sheffield Wednesday. I'm going to go Wolves. That is also incorrect. Oh, Jesus Christ, (laughs) flip of a coin. It was Portsmouth. Oh, Oh, Two out of three yeah. chance that you could that either you could have gotten that right and he's he's got it wrong. But anyway, so this is the final question. Unfortunately, Ant, you cannot win it, but you can put some respectability on the on the scoreboard by getting this one right. Following David Seaman's red card away at West Ham United, a young goalkeeper from Arsenal's reserves was given the chance to stake a claim for the jersey. It was not to be, and he left Highbury in 1994 to join Middlesbrough before sp- spells with West Brom and Blackburn Rovers. What was his name? Peter. Go ahead, Peter. Oh, uh, no, no. I... Ant. Go on, Ant. I might be completely wide of the mark here, but I'm going to go for Alan Kelly. Oh, so close. You definitely don't have an answer, Peter? No, I was going to... It, it, it's definitely not Tim Flowers. It's not Maniger. It's uh, Blackburn. Who did, so you went to West Brom, Blackburn. I'm just stalling for time here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I can't see him. I'm done. Okay. Alan Miller is the correct answer. Never heard of him. Not gonna lie. So yeah. I win. Uh, you win uh, by a score of five to three, Peter. Well done. Yes. That is three three weeks in a row. Uh, and you are officially binned. Get out. You are just you're just the three three weeks in a row. Come on, mate. Yeah. Three, three weeks in a row, there's been about uh, three quarters of Man United questions from the mid-90s. Are we, are we actually surprised Peter's absolutely battered in me, You know what I mean? I want stewards inquiry into this. This is outrageous. <laughs> so that was our, our quiz, which is brought to you by uh, Football Index. You can get a £20 bonus when you sign up for a new account. Just use the offer code FF20. That offer code is FF20. So we have a weekly podcast in which the Football Faithful reviews the week of football. You'll find that in the same feed you're listening to this podcast, which can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all good 
and some bad platforms. So uh, also make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter. We're at FootyFaithful underscore. Uh, thanks for joining me tonight, lads. Thanks, Peter. Cheers, boys. Enjoyed another walk down memory lane. And thank you, Ant. Nice one, lads. Enjoyed that. Thank you very much.